In my mind, to mitigate against these pieces of shot who are trying to get to your keys. We've, we've mentioned multiple times that multi-sig is the next level, but it really is if you've got quite a significant stack, it's where you absolutely need to get to. And there are services that can help. And I guess the only other thing which has really highlighted the importance of multi-sig for me recently is to diversify your exposure to any one entity as well. You're responsible now for storing your generational wealth for your family into the future. You're gonna have to just spend a little bit of time on this. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Hello, folks. Dan and I have made our triumphant return from the Bitcoin conference. If you haven't made it to one of these conferences yet, you need to get there next year. The place was jammed with signal and entertainment. We saw a presidential candidate talk Bitcoin, juxtaposed with wizards talking about ordinals. Where else can the Venn diagram overlap in that way? All right, so on to this episode. We are coming at you hot with another addition to the Bitcoin Basics series. Daz and Seb join us once again from Looking Glass Education. This one is very important in our view. After you have made the decision to purchase some Bitcoin, it's important that you learn how to properly custody it. The vast majority of people have trust in custodians. We have lived in a world our entire lives where we can reasonably trust that banks will produce your cash when you show up at the teller window. With recent events in the traditional banking sector and glaring collapses of BlockFi, Celsius, and FTX in the last year, we think it's obvious that counterparties are not trustworthy, especially in the Bitcoin and crypto space. So... Having said that, you have some options, and we are dedicating this episode to walking you through them and explaining the pros and cons of each. We also explain some of the jargon you will encounter as you dive into the world of self-custody. Remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. We spend a good portion of this episode talking about the cold card. Dan and I each own just about every single device in the space, and we can say with confidence that after years of experimentation, we would highly suggest the cold card as our signing device of choice. It is elegant in its simplicity and dynamic in its wide range of optionality for those who are more advanced. It provides the best security in the business, and ultimately, that is why you purchase one of these signing devices. Use code BCB to get 5% off the Mark IV. If you do decide that you want to be endlessly entertained and educated at the next Bitcoin conference, which will be in Nashville next year, we do have an early code for you. It's BCB24 for a discounted ticket. That is BCB24. Dad Seb, Looking Glass crew, welcome joining us again. Dude, We uh, before we get started, we, we just got back from the conference a few days ago. Dan and I were absolutely wrecked after this conference. We oh, were up man. for like, it was like 12-hour days, full yeah. throttle, watched maybe, what do you think, Dan, like 20 minutes of the actual content from the conference? It other was than just, just complete, just all jaw-jabbing the whole time. We saw Joe Consorti everywhere we looked, and... Uh, Oh, so there's a, so we saw, we actually got to meet Michael Saylor for like two minutes. It was cool. Uh, shout out to Chris Alamo. He, he called us up. He's like, dude, you guys have to get over here quick. If you want to meet Saylor, I can hook you up. So we get over there and he reaches out as if to shake my hand. So I assume, oh, he wants to shake my hand. Great. I, I go for it, shake his hand. And then I realize immediately that like, that was not intended for me. <laughs> that was intended for the Arab sheik that is standing there. And I'm like, uh, so this guy is fully garbed up, Arab chic with a security guard. And I'm like, I'm going to go get my head cut off in an alleyway now <laughs> because, and like people are like given this, there's like an aura around this gentleman 
walking around in this Arab garb, clearly some kind of chic oil billionaire. And, you know, I cut him off to shake Michael Saylor's hand. <laughs> the funny part of this story, though, is that, I don't know, maybe two hours later, we're talking to somebody and they're like, dude, you know, that guy's not an Arab chic, right? He's just some guy, just some Mexican dude who put on Arab garb, has a dude walking with him, pretend he's security, has nothing to do with it. It, it just cracked us up. We were laughing for uh, like the, the next couple hours. That was the joke. Like, and so we got to meet him later. It was hilarious. But it's just it's just a Mexican dude that dresses up like an oil tycoon. I mean, I, I was belly laughing so hard. I, it, part of it's that we don't go to all these conferences. It felt like all the people that go to all these conferences knew this joke and were playing straight into it. And Josh and I were blindsided by it, but man, is it hilarious. <laughs> but, oh, dude, exhausting. I mean, incredible week. I guess I want to say this conference is so well run, man. I mean, it really is. Like, extremely well organized, incredible content, and the whole Bitcoin Magazine team is just bought in. Extreme hospitality. It was such a yep. good week. But Josh and I are like, it, I mean, it's such um, an exciting opportunity to be around this much amazing content, incredible people, kindred spirits left and right that you just go hard, sun up to sun down. Not to mention we brought two firefighters down with us, two of our best buddies, Andy and uh, Ryan. And these two dudes, they had the throttle all the way down. I mean, <laughs> night two, Josh and I are crawling into bed at 1.30. These guys come busting into our room. They woke up the entire hotel. The entire Not place. Our floor, Slamming the doors, entire yelling, fucking hotel. Clearly screaming at us that we need to come out and party. But we we maintained we were businessmen, utmost professionalism. We we held it together the really night. until the last night and the wheels came off. We took our hair out of that ponytail, let our hair down. Um, as I like to say, Josh goes Neanderthal after 10 and he goes full ape after midnight. And he was <laughs> gone. And we had people coming up to visit us. I mean, God bless them. Like we had Jim Kreider come up, Clay Fink come up. Um Chris Alamo came up and it was full frontal fire service because we were out of control. We had five firemen in various stages of intoxication. And then these guys just trying to like hang out. And they were like, what, what are we walking into? Probably here? trying what to kind exit. Of a clown show is this? Realistically, yeah. they yeah. came they up were, on that rooftop and they were like, holy shit, we need to get out of here. <laughs> A-S-A-P, but we don't know how. They were very graceful though. They were. Yeah, they were. True gentlemen. They didn't even, they didn't bat an eye at the gratuitous intoxication that was going on on that rooftop <laughs> uh dad seb enough about us in our debaucherous week how are each of you what i was about to say is it like the uh the rooftop in the hangover where you lose each other for like three days and then find the other person it, cooked on the rooftop was bed it could easily have gotten there for sure very it similar was, i don't think we had any roofies otherwise okay. it would have definitely gotten there well we're talking conferences i'll plug bitcoin alive uh, so mm. ours was last month and similar. Like I saw zero of the conference. It was just like I'm waiting for all the videos to come out. So uh, to, to actually realize what yeah. the hell went on there. But that's what we're really doing right now too. Super. Yeah, we're just reeling, waiting for the actual content to come out so we can touch back on it and see what we uh, what so we missed the whole on, time we were there. All put on everyone's agenda. Everyone's coming to Sydney next year. Uh, date to be announced, but there's definitely happen one happening in uh, 2024. So keep your eye out for that. Cool, cool, very cool. Uh, Seb, you had some, uh, give us a, some crazy spiritual experience last night. Just give us a quick spark notes. It sounds insane. So both Daz and I, outside of our Bitcoin public personas, we talk a lot about the spiritual world and, and more of the, our consciousness and the ego and so on. And I had a 
reading last night. I've only ever had like a psychic reading once or twice in my life. And I just, I just find them fascinating to see what the person will come up with. And this guy, like I just sent him a text. He just had my cell phone number and my name was Seb. And he picked up on all of the key prominent dates in my life, like every single key prominent date in my life. And then was just like, you're involved, like your skill set is something to do with like conceptualizing ideas and sharing them to a community and educating others. And what you're doing is you're trying to change these ossified, calcified structures and transition into kind of a new world, a better world that is more just. I don't know what you're doing, but it sounds pretty cool. I'm just like, oh my God, let me pick up on this. But anyway, he just said, you guys are going to gain more clarity around the middle of or early to middle of 2024. And then in 2025, 2026, that's when you're going to see like major, major change happen. So all of those guys listening out there, we just got to wait a couple of years and then everything's going to be all good. It's going to be all good. Greg Foss tipped this guy off. That's what I just gathered, Josh. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> he, he unleashed a psychic on Seb. Very cool, Seb. Uh, we uh, will transition now into the uh, marrow inside this bone um, topic today. Very excited. Self-custody. Bitcoin self-custody. In my view, gentlemen, this could be the most important chat we do of the whole series. Not only am I hoping that it's going to be practical, we're going to go through practical steps on how to buy, use, and store Bitcoin. But I would also argue that self-custody is one, if not the most significant feature of Bitcoin that makes it groundbreaking. And I'm going to start us off with a thought here, and then we can all riff on it. And, and that's just discussing ownership in, the, in a digital environment, in the 21st century environment. The world we live in, the world of money, finance, communications, it is moving increasingly and almost entirely digital. And I think it can be argued, I think it's directionally correct to say that you don't really own anything in today's digital environment except self-custodied Bitcoin, your brokerage accounts, your IRAs and 401ks, your pension, the cash in your bank account, the deed to your house, the title to the land that you possess. Bitcoin is the only digitally monetary thing with real value, and its real value is accrued through a lot of the fundamentals we've covered so far in this series. The only real digital thing in today's environment that cannot be taken from you without your consent, without your involvement, that you actually hold yourself, that you could assuredly escape a country with if you needed to. I would encourage the audience to think through what else do you own? What other digital thing do you own that can't be taken from you? And let's trend the world. We're headed increasingly digital. Yes, we could make arguments about gold bullion. That's a different discussion that has its own limitations. But self-custody, holding your own Bitcoin private keys is an amazing and unique opportunity that Bitcoin provides us. And I think before we get into the how, let's the three of us continue to explore this concept of why self-custody and real ownership of this asset is such a big freaking deal, whichever one of you want it, wants to take it here. For sure. Yeah, I, I was going to say, and I, I just want to highlight that that is such a profound point. I don't think people realize that even something such as our house that we live in is not really our house because we pay property taxes mm. to the government. So if we decide, you know what, I don't want to pay these property taxes, you're going to quickly realize that that house is not yours. If you're holding any form of equities, you're holding them in a pension account, whether it's in a, a brokerage account, the government has the ability to seize any of these assets. When you're holding basically any bank account, any form of savings vehicle, these are all under the thumb of government or 
central uh, centralized entities that have the capacity to take these assets from you at any moment if if they deem necessary. And I think that people don't necessarily realize this. And so when we say Bitcoin, we can custody our Bitcoin. This is such a profound statement. It's something that we have never truly been able to do other than with, say, cash under the bed uh, or under the pillow. And so I think where we can start and something that I like to always think about is, um, and we discussed this in the previous episodes, you can always go back and listen to it, is that a lot of people tend to think about Bitcoin being this money that we just hold in our wallet. So if you have a digital wallet, you're holding those uh, coins in the wallet. But I think it's all, uh, it's important to separate this idea about how Bitcoin actually functions and how we interact with Bitcoin, just because this will help kind of lay the foundation for self-custody, um, which is, so when we think about Bitcoin uh, and our public and private key, and we've discussed this in previous episodes, public key you can think about as your bank account. So if Dan wanted to send me money, I just need to send him my public key and my private key you can think about it as your password your password to access those funds just like the password to your bank account and so when it comes to custody whoever has access to this private key has access to your funds so you can have hold of that uh, private key a centralized exchange can have hold of that private key you can hand that private key to your mum your mum can hold that private key basically whoever owns that private key has access to your funds and so this is incredibly important when you hold Bitcoin, you're not holding a bunch of coins in a wallet. What you're doing is you're holding the private key, which gives you access to move those coins on the Bitcoin ledger. And I think that's really important. An exchange, a, a wallet or an exchange or whoever holds your private key is not holding your coins. They're just holding the right to be able to move your coins. So I don't know if anyone wants to add on that. Um, just another thought on self-custody and how this is, as Dan was characterizing there, I think a massively game-changing feature of Bitcoin because... In the history of the world, there's never been a method for holding value that did not require physical force to protect, whether that is your house, some gold coins, or anything else that you could physically hold, even digitally hold. There's no, um, there's never been a method that didn't require physical force to protect it. So on the topic of gold, has a, has a lot of very similar similar characteristics to Bitcoin, but a very a couple of very important differences. Gold has to be physically transported. It has to be physically secured and takes up a ton of space in large quantities. The, qu the kind of quantities that would be life-changing in gold are extremely hard to protect and extremely hard to ship. Um, and one very big difference between, between gold and Bitcoin is simply the physics of it. Gold is not hard capped, whereas it, you know, it, there is an unknown amount of gold that's in the Earth's crust somewhere and more of it can arise. Whereas with Bitcoin, it has 21 million and that is the hard cap of it. Um, but we're focusing on this uh, custody characteristic today. So with gold, you'd have to pay a bank or security company to maintain it. With Bitcoin, you can literally just have a series of words that can maintain it for you. It's infinitely easier to hide. You can literally keep it in your brain. And as Daz, or I'm sorry, as Seb just characterized there, this is how you store it. This is, uh, it's it's in the ether. It's in the cloud, effectively. And so therefore, it's incredibly easy to maintain. It can be moved around the world at the speed of light. So it's something you can truly own. There's no counterparty risk whatsoever, assuming you hold it properly, which we're going to get into in this. And you can have it on a small calculator. It's just infinitely better than gold because of the ability to transport it and the ability to hide it effectively. With the same upside as gold. Is essentially Correct. what you're saying. It has the same, the, same the same positive characteristics without the negatives. I think that's the high-level summary of gold versus Bitcoin in my mind. 
when even true scarcity, even with gold, an asteroid that can, carrying a, a fuck ton of gold could land on this earth and all of a sudden it's diluted the value of gold. With Bitcoin, it's arguably, and I think we've discussed this in one of the first few episodes, the first time in history we've ever had true scarcity because there is a finite cap, which we don't have that in any resource. The other um, really important thing for me, for my realization, uh, was that that whole point. We've raised it a couple of times in previous episodes. Dan, you just highlighted it as well, is that ability to cross borders with a good portion of your wealth in 12 words in your head. Uh, for me, I'm on Prison Island and the way that uh, Australia, so we're completely surrounded by water. And at one point in the last couple of years, there was a point uh, where... You know, I was worried about having to get me and my family off this country, and I've never had that in the last, you know, forty years of my existence. I never, you, you know, I would never imagine a scenario whereby I thought that I need, I would ever need that, right? Um, but that literal thought crossed my mind more than once, and and it's even in the back of my mind now. It's like, what if, you know, World War Three were to break out, and I wanted to get my little family off, off, off this island. And um, you know, I can't take gold with me. I can't take my property with me. I can't take anything with me. So just being able to understand how it is that I might be able to flee, jump on a boat, you know, get my family out of that situation in a hurry is a pretty, pretty mind blowing realization. And of and and we're in a fortunate country. Like imagine being in in you know one of these. Uh, really authoritarian countries um, like Canada, like like exactly <laughs> like Canada. Imagine if you had to get rid of get out of the you know the 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 authoritarian light, you Trudeau, know. You know? Uh, so don't cross them. Able, Yeah, I mean, all you need to do is is store twelve words in your head. I mean, that's not the best way to do it, right? But it's just highlighting the, the and we'll talk about that a bit more. But it's it's um it. It's mind blowing that you can cross borders with your entire net wealth in twelve words in your head, and all you need on the other side is access to a mobile phone and an internet connection, and and you can take your value with you. And it's wild. Like that part alone, I think, is worth. People. I know, and it's so when people hear that, it's it's just like you read history, you hear some accounts of World War Two. The the Jewish people from Germany for is a great example. Like they had to leave with their wealth, but they couldn't. Everything they had was. You know, they were merchants, they were whatever they were there and everything was in gold or was in German francs, which were hyperinflated by then. And it's, they just had no real ability to move their wealth with them, which, so they had to come to the U S or wherever they went penniless and destitute and start from zero. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we see that. I mean, we see that in third world countries today, but it doesn't hit home in first world countries because we just never have had to deal with that. Not in generations, at least. It's interesting yeah. that you mentioned the kind of like world war ii and stuff you hear about these stories about especially auschwitz and uh, auschwitz and dachau how these individuals they're lumped onto these trains and they're trying to carry whatever wealth they can so they're carrying whether it is gold earrings or gold rings and they're trying to just keep them in their pockets and the moment they get to these concentration camps they're just stripped down totally naked and then they're all their wealth is gone it's just taken from them whereas in theory if Bitcoin was around then, if this person had just been able to memorize 12 words, as long as they're able to survive, they can carry their wealth throughout their period of basically incrimination in these in these camps, which is, that's profound. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. Insanely profound. I mean, it, one of my biggest hooks to grab people's attention, and I did this with my mom. I was on a, a walk with my two kids and my mom the other day. 
walks I cherish, by the way. I think the older I get, the more I appreciate my parents and realize time is short and Side note there, but uh, one of the we were talking about Bitcoin because she's growing increasingly interested in this random side hobby I started that she's realizing is uh, taking up more and more of my time. And my hook to her was basically one of the keynote speakers at Bitcoin 2023 was the chief strategy officer of the Human Rights Foundation, an absolutely massive human rights organization. And these little things, whatever people's touch points are, why is he there? Why is he wasting his time in Miami talking to a bunch of loser tech nerds about fake internet money, right? And, and a lot of this is self-custody, guys. I mean, yeah, he's interested in Bitcoin and the Human Rights Foundation is interested in Bitcoin because it's fixed in supply, it's censorship resistant, it's working to obsolete a lot of the downsides of central banking. But self-custody, the ability like you you gentleman just articulated so well to have 12 words in your in your head and go anywhere you want in the world with your value still intact that is an antidote to authoritarianism and that is why this is an absolute human rights wet dream the other um really important point i think which is uh often not not understood in in, in its entirety is that seizureship resistant property of self custody and what that could mean for like um, global politics, right? So typically wars have been fought over some need to seize assets or seize resources. And if if your treasury is in Bitcoin and it's self-custodied in, in, a, in a way, which we'll dig into um, a, a little bit more, uh, like options like multi-sig, um, then, you know, it's, it's going to lead to more peace throughout the world because you you can't seize my bitcoin you, you, it's pointless invading you know bhutan's been stacking that country bhutan's been stacking bitcoin hand over fist uh in the last couple of years using their uh, abundant resources or, or excess resources and like there's zero point in invading that country to steal their wealth in bitcoin because they just will not be able to do it you cannot forcibly make anyone give up their their keys and particularly if you manage that well which again we'll talk about more today uh you know it you you, you're seriously reducing that um single point of attack uh if you do this and you understand it and you do it well all right so i think it's a good place to start um let's just assume people listening have never bought bitcoin and they're on the road for the first time they're hearing this and they're asking us where's the best place to buy bitcoin or what are some good options for me because I don't even have any Bitcoin that I need to store. So before I even worry about storing Bitcoin or worrying about private keys or what any of that means, I first want to know where to buy Bitcoin. And I think Dan and I would obviously recommend Swan, at least in the United States. Um, Daz, we'll definitely want to ask you about Australia because I don't believe Swan is there at all. And then Seb, Canada, the best places that you've used there, because I'm not sure that Swan is in Canada or not either way. But um, Swan, the thing that we love about Swan is that they do an amazing job of educating people. They have some of the best, um, most articulate writers in the space, the people that do the best job of um, just describing and explaining why it is you want to own Bitcoin. And the education part of this is huge because what we've seen multiple times in the past is you convince someone to buy Bitcoin, they go do it because they trust you or they have, um, you know, they've seen the price go up. They go buy themselves whatever an economically significant amount of Bitcoin for themselves is. They sit on it for six months, realize like, oh, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. They either, you know, just leave it in the at the custodian, which is not a good idea, or 
they end up doing, you know, maybe even worse, which is selling it, walking away, potentially losing some money along the way. So yeah, I think Swan is an incredible place to buy. And, you know, full disclosure, they definitely, they do uh, sponsor us, but we've been buying at Swan. I've been buying there since 2019 when they started. And they've, they encourage people to get the Bitcoin off their exchange. They don't want your Bitcoin yes. and they don't even let you sell Bitcoin there. Uh, I mean, this place is so pro Bitcoin. They'll sell it to you. They encourage you to get it off and they walk you through the steps of self, self custody as well. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah. My quick thing to throw in here, there are, there are a lot of good places to buy Bitcoin. Um, but there is one thing you need to make absolutely sure of. And that is that you are buying Bitcoin somewhere that allows you to self-custody the Bitcoin. Good point. Very good um, point. Venmo and Robinhood are examples of places that do not let you whisk the Bitcoin off to self-custody. Now, there's a different gradient of how much these exchanges and brokers encourage self-custody. That's why we would be pro-Swan is because they are barking all the freaking time to their their users and that you need to self-custody this. Here's how you do it. You can call customer support and we will help you get this Bitcoin out of here onto self-custody. But even to take a step back, make sure you're buying this somewhere you can self-custody it. And it is confusing because a place like Cash App, you're thinking, oh, Cash App, Venmo, same thing. Cash App, very squared away. Incur you know, easy to self-custody, lightning enabled, base layer enabled dialed in and like i said a place like venmo or Robinhood, totally totally the opposite so there is some research involved in figuring out where you're buying it and if you're buying it at the wrong place right now pivot now just because yeah. you've bought a good amount on Robinhood doesn't mean you need to keep doing it stop go somewhere that allows you to take this next step towards self-custody and i think it's really important to tell people because i've been guilty of this i bought bitcoin on like five different platforms when it comes to tax time and if you've sold any Bitcoin and you have to figure out your cost basis, it's an absolute nightmare. Yes. Stick to one place. And not only that, you you limit your exposure to your KYC information. You don't want your information on five different exchanges because if one of them gets hacked, it's less likely to be yours. And if your information's on all five of them, your exposure is wide and far. You want to have that exposure as limited as possible. Work towards being monogamous with your Bitcoin broker. Don't spread yes. your seed everywhere and have you know, bastard children walking around all over the world. You don't, yeah, as tempting as a strike may be. <laughs> <laughs> Go yeah. ahead, Seth. I was just going to add that I think it's so important when you're to do your due diligence, exactly as Dan and Josh are saying, I think so many of us, and even I've just managed to finally orange pill my mom and get my mom to put a small portion yeah. of the pension and here, here. self-custody. And we're looking at UK exchanges. She lives in the UK. And arguably most of them do not allow you to withdraw. And even if they do allow you to withdraw, they cap it at like a thousand bucks a month. And you're just like, you're stuck. So I think that it's really important to ask a few questions. Those questions are, do you allow me to withdraw? Is there any restrictions on me withdrawing? Is there anything else I should know about this? And then one of the other ones that I think is also really important just to mention, that's not necessarily related to self-custody is fees. Many sites will charge you exorbitant fees. Now, if, and if they're not charging exorbitant fees, many of them will also say, we're, we're fee-less, there's no fees. But the reality is there still is fees and they're just captured in something called the spread. And the spread is basically, if let's just say Bitcoin is trading at $30,000, but they're charging mm. you $31,000 for it, 
that $1,000 difference is the fees at which they're charging. And so what I would recommend is if you're buying through a site that is saying low fees or no fees, go to Google, just type in what is the spot price or the current price of Bitcoin, and then look at the price at which you're buying it on the exchange, because sometimes they will screw you through fees. Mm -hmm. And it's just something to point out. Sometimes um, with withdrawal fees can be a little bit exorbitant as well. So you want to be be timing how you, um, how you do that, and particularly in this high fee environment, which we're sort of navigating through at the moment. So a lot of exchanges have um, lightning-enabled withdrawals, which just basically means that um, you can withdraw to uh, a, a lightning wallet or even ones that manage both, um, even back to base chains. Uh, so they managing their own sort of on-ramps and off-ramps and batching transactions in that way just to reduce those costs um a couple in australia which i would recommend is bitcoin you really want to be like there's plenty of exchanges out there uh but make sure you're you're trying to find the bitcoin only exchanges because they do it they do it well and and for the first onboarding of people they're not going to go to self-custody themselves straight away so i think it's really important that that initial period is in a bitcoin only exchange because that's all they're focusing on is is bitcoin Mm and how to store it themselves. And they've got, obviously, that's their whole business model. So they're really going to make sure that they're knuckling down security. Um, uh, I, would, I would argue better than ones that are like a shitcoin casino. And the other yes. thing I would say about that is if you're recommending it to your friends and family, you you absolutely do not want to be recommending a shitcoin casino uh, to these guys because the temptation for most humans is just too too real when you log into these exchanges and you see the like bright blink, blinking lights of the latest um shitcoin scam you know and they like yep. oh hang on and they're looking at the uh the comparison rates were how bitcoin's performed in the last seven minutes <laughs> you know they're, they're seeing like bitcoin might be up three percent but hang on this this latest shitcoin's up you know two thousand percent and uh you just don't want that temptation like because this thing's way bigger than you know People, people like to gamble. People like to throw the dice, you know, and it's, and it's just re- um, removing that temptation, I think, is, is really important. So the three I'd recommend for Australia uh, audience anyway, and I, I apologize if I've missed uh, any off this list, but um, Bitteroo, Hardblock, and Amber, all very solid Bitcoin-only exchanges, encourage self-custody and have um, different strategies for stacking like um, dollar cost averaging on a daily basis, weekly basis, all those sort of things. So, Yeah, that's a good... So we've covered... Great point on the Bitcoin only. Bitcoin only, get mm-hmm. someone started there or else they're going to get distracted. We've been distracted, okay? We bought Bitcoin first. We bought it on Coinbase. And then like flies to the light, we dumb firemen started trading around a bunch of bullshit back in 2017. Yeah. Before you know it, that we're on back. VPNs. We're on VPNs and some Chinese exchange buying, you know, shit called Verge. And we didn't even know what it was. When <laughs> It was crazy. But so yeah, don't do what Bitcoin we did. Only is a good idea. Bitcoin good only. A place that encourages self-custody, we would encourage you to go somewhere that pays the fees to move to self-custody. That might be new for someone. It costs Bitcoin to move Bitcoin, and it always will. That's how miners are paid. Those fees will likely go up in the future. I know there's a lot of places to do this, but a place like Swan, uh, you're, you're paying a fair spot price that the market's dictating and they are covering the fees. That's a big benefit. And I know there's a number of places to do that. So look into these things, yeah. pick a good one before we move off this Seb, how about in Canada? What do you recommend? Yeah, I, it's, it's a tough one. I think in Canada, we've got a lot of exchanges that also dabble in all these other altcoins. Uh, in terms of those exchanges, I tend to use Endax and ShakePay just because they have some of the lowest fees. 
uh, and they're definitely the, the quickest and easiest ones to use. But Bitcoin only, and one that I think is absolutely phenomenal is one called Bitcoin Well, Well as in W-E-L-L. And Bitcoin Well allows you to connect your hardware wallet. So you're buying Bitcoin straight to your hardware wallet. And I even believe nice. they allow you to purchase up to $1,000 KYC free, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. and, and so for those individuals that are not necessarily familiar with what KYC is, it's called Know Your Customer. And it's basically banks in both Canada, the States, Australia, most uh, developed countries require you to kind of provide your identity uh, with purchases over a certain dollar amount. Uh, and the problem with that is then the government basically has access. They know how much you've purchased. They know what you've purchased. They know the wallet of which it's on. They may not be able to access that wallet, but they have a lot of information on you. So we're always trying to, not as a means of evading tax, but we're always trying to find ways to obtain Bitcoin in a KYC-free manner, just so we have more privacy around our financial selves. Yeah. I was going to ask, maybe we can touch this real quick, going into KYC versus non-KYC. Does someone want to take that ball real quick? We won't go too far down this because this is a more technical topic, probably not fit for a basics episode, but uh, Seb hit it. Know your customer. AML is another anti-money laundering laws that this is basically when you set up a bank account, yeah. when you set up a brokerage account, when you when you set up an account at one of these exchanges, they're asking a lot of information of you and about you. And there are ways to accumulate Bitcoin without those privacy compromises. Somebody want to touch on that real quick before we move on? Uh, the one that comes to mind for me is HODL HODL. And that's basically a marketplace online. It, I guess you could kind of, you could compare it to eBay in a way. You People will put Bitcoin up for a specific price. It's usually at a premium um, because people will ask for a premium to not have KYC Bitcoin. You put cash up um, into an escrow account, and then it's in a, I believe it's, a, I have never done it, to be honest, but I've looked into it a little bit. You, um, the escrow account, they hold a key. So the Bitcoin is held by the exchange. The seller holds a key. And then when the uh, escrow account clears, the, the escrow, uh, they give you the key, and then you take control of the Bitcoin, and you can move it wherever you want. There's also in-person meetups where people will meet. Um, that could be a little sketchy, depending on, you know, where you're at, what you're doing, but just be smart about it. Um, I don't know. I, there's a lot of arguments in either direction about KYC versus non-KYC, but I think in reality, most people don't have the OPSEC of the ability to keep their Bitcoin private, even if they buy it privately. You really have to know your shit to keep your Bitcoin private. So unless you're going to dive very deeply down that rabbit hole and you're going to run an onion router and you're going to have a VPN running simultaneously and very, be very careful about how you mix your coins, it's probably not worth it for most people. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think it's really important just to mention that there was an interesting speech and I've, I've completely blanked on the guy who did the speech. It was one of the European leaders and he basically said that a dictatorship or authoritarian uh, regime is when your government knows more about you than you know about your government. And I think that the mm -hmm. basis for any free market, the basis for any like sound democracy or capitalistic economy is that we have privacy as individuals. And so when we say non-KYC, I touched on it very briefly, but what we're not advocating for tax evasion. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying right. is that privacy is an absolute foundational right to our economy. We should be able to have privacy to uh, uh, share whatever information we feel we want to share rather than those having access to all of our information, because otherwise that's not a free and fair society. Right. And the IRS or whoever your tax authority is in your country is bad enough, but you don't want nefarious you know, actors out there figuring out how much Bitcoin you have and then targeting your house and your family 
and putting you in a situation that you don't want to be in. I mean, that that is the bigger worry for a lot of people. I mean, we all know we're going to get absolutely bent over and bludgeoned by the IRS. We understand that. But we don't expect them to show up and, you know, put us at gunpoint, at least not until we pay taxes for at least five years. Yeah, and it's, I mean, these these sort of type of companies are a honeypot for hackers, right? So they're, they're trying to get in because they're, they're, they're probably snooping around the back door trying to get hold of some keys on a, on a server somewhere in order to get access to the funds. And then they just stumble across, you know, the, the uh, unencrypted typically user files, right? And then, and then they publish them. Um, uh, we, we can talk about Ledger a bit later on. They've, they've had that happen. Yeah. It's a massive honeypot for, um, for that. So like just to, to reiterate a couple of those points, don't spread yourself too, too thin across many exchanges to make that, um, uh, you know, an easier attack vector. Um, the peer-to-peer exchanges are great for non-KYC, but they are risky and probably not something you want to be shopping if it's your first time buying Bitcoin. Stick to a well-known, like the swans of the world, people that do it and do it well. Um, and, and, you know, it's very easy to mess up. Uh, plus, you know, you like you highlighted before, you're typically paying a higher spread for that, for that um, asset. I'll add one more quick point because I noticed you were about to talk, Dan, which is, if you're looking for non-KYC Bitcoin, you've got friends that are Bitcoiners. The best thing to do is when you're in group environments, offer to pay for stuff and then say, pay me back in Bitcoin later. That's an easy way to get non-KYC Bitcoin. And, yeah, and of get- course, the other, the other one quick thing that I'll mention is to separate your wallets. We're talking about non-KYC wallets. Uh, if you are receiving Bitcoin, don't have your non-KYC sent to your KYC wallet because all of a sudden you've just convoluted and they know that's your wallet or the government or whoever yeah. has access to tradi- uh, other transactions which have been received by that wallet, immediately know all your transactions. So it's really important so, so to... You, what you go, Dustin? When you go to your uh, your meetups and your um, in your conferences, right, you offer to p- um, pay for the Airbnb and get everybody else to reimburse you because it's a great way to stack, stack Bitcoin. I, I just did that when we went to this conference. So I, I stacked a nice, nice little... Uh, I, I, will, I will, of course, uh, ATO if you're listening... Um, Acknowledge that in my tax returns. I'm not selling anyway, so it won't be an issue. But um, ever, and uh, uh, the, only, the only other thing I was going to say is those meetups are a good are a good way to introduce. Like you, you know, like you say, Josh, you have to be a bit careful. But if you're frequenting uh, a, a Bitcoin meetup, you will invariably come across Bitcoiners that have been in the space quite a while, and they have expenses. You know, a couple of these guys that. Have have been stacking for quite a while. They want to buy the you know their kids a new puppy. They want to you know get a new car. Um, so they're going to be looking at ways to offload some of that. And it's a great way to stack a, a little side non KYC stack. I think another thing we need to hit as we transition here into keys, wallets, signing devices is let's just start with this statement. It is important to understand, listeners. When you are holding Bitcoin and when you are not holding Bitcoin, okay? I have heard people say things like, I have X amount of Bitcoin on my Coinbase wallet. I'm not saying you didn't buy Bitcoin. I'm not saying that that's going to evaporate tomorrow. But you do not have self-custody of your Bitcoin in your quote-unquote Coinbase wallet or on the exchange. And this is where... Bitcoin really reframes, as we said off the top, the definition and actions behind ownership in the digital age. 
If you are not holding your private keys, which I think we should get into next, what is a private key? That's the whole point of self-custody. If you don't have your keys, you essentially have an IOU to Bitcoin. You need someone else's mm. permission to access your Bitcoin. So if you if you have not, I guess at its most simple, we could say, if you have not gone through a process where you've been given 12 or 24 words, you don't, you have an IOU to Bitcoin. You're, yeah. It's an entry on someone else's spreadsheet and you need their permission. And I'm not saying that's a horrible thing or you need to go freak out right now. But what we're going to encourage you to do through the rest of this episode is at least start dabbling in the next step to really take full advantage of what this protocol and network offers. The CEO of Ledger recently had a talk with uh, on what Bitcoin did. One of the things that he said, which really stuck out to me, was that they've sold 10 million devices. So Ledger, the biggest company in selling these devices, has, old, has sold 10 million. And there are he said there are 400 million people that have bought Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency on exchanges. So we've got a massive, massive amount of these people. Like 95% of people are holding this Bitcoin on exchanges in or whatever currency they're buying as an IOU on an exchange. Um, that is the scale of the problem that we have here. And if that's you, as Dan said, we, we're not saying you should run for the exits and you know your house isn't on fire, but you should definitely be ruminating about this and starting to learn about it and you know, take to, to, to your core some of the things that we're about to say about how you can move yourself into this gently, gracefully, and you don't have anything to worry about as long as you're very diligent about doing some simple, very basic things. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think it's so important, exactly as you said, Dan, many of us have a wallet. That wallet could be a Coinbase wallet. But the key question to ask is, do I hold my seed phrase? If I do not hold my seed phrase, so if I don't know what my 12 or 24 words are, if I've never been given these words, then you are not holding your Bitcoin. Someone else is holding your Bitcoin. And so I think that it's really important to, like, we're going to use some terminology coming up here. And I think it's just, I want to just highlight this terminology so people understand. There are kind of like, I would, I would argue that there are four primary types of wallets. So you get exchange wallets. That is if you're holding anything on Coinbase, if you're holding them on Bitaroo, if you're holding on wherever you are in the world, if you don't have your your uh, C phrase, whether it's 12 or 24, then it's on an exchange. They have access to your Bitcoin. They can seize your Bitcoin. It's not your Bitcoin. You then have hot wallets. Hot wallets are like a wallet uh, that you are self-custodying. You have access to your 12 and 24 words, but the wallet is on your laptop or it's on your phone or it's connected to the internet. What this means is, although it's easy to use, the problem is it is because it's hooked up to the internet, it's more prone to attack vectors such as hacks. Uh, and because of that, we tend to recommend not using a hot wallet as your core custody solution. If you've got all your savings in Bitcoin, don't keep them on a hot wallet just because it's just an increased attack vector for hackers. You then have a cold wallet. A cold wallet or a hardware wallet is something that's not connected to the internet. It means that you have control of your seed phrase again, but this time, if you want to sign a transaction or send Bitcoin, you have to plug it into the computer to sign the transaction. Because it's not connected to the internet, it just reduces one of those attack vectors. And then lastly, and this is a little more complex, so you can kind of brush over this one. It's more for those that are kind of deeper down the rabbit hole. And that's a multi-sig. And a multi-sig wallet is when you're basically taking your seed phrase and then you're distributing it, uh, splitting it into shards, distributing it so that that way, the only way you can access your Bitcoin is by combining all of your parts to your seed phrase and then accessing your Bitcoin. And to be honest, that's a little, a little too 
low level for the average person. So you can ignore that one. But I think the key one is just centralized, hot wallet and cold wallet. No, that's a good way to to break it down right as we begin this thing. I, I was just going to make one uh, to back up just a second for the, 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 the really new listener. And that's, let's talk about keys for a second and just how this whole thing works. And Seb, you actually hit this off the top. When you have a signing device or a, or a Bitcoin hardware wallet, like a cold card, okay, there is no Bitcoin on that device. Your Bitcoin is on the Bitcoin blockchain. We talked in a previous episode about how Bitcoin is a distributed ledger. Think of it as a decentralized database that's spread all over the world that all these nodes agree on. That's where your Bitcoin is. It's just an accounting on an Excel spreadsheet at its most simple, if I was going to dumb it down. That's where your Bitcoin is. You need a key to access, spend, or move the Bitcoin that's that's yours. Okay. And that that key, which is essentially just a giant, unguessable random number. Okay. That is what is protected on this device. And I think this relationship to Bitcoin keys is maybe the most important thing we need the listener to exit with, which is that all you are doing is protecting a giant freaking number. If somebody else gets this private key, gets this giant freaking number, they have your Bitcoin, okay? That is what is being protected here. And when we talk about hardware devices, I'll double back to this in a little bit, but these are something like a cold card does a single job very, very well. It's built purely to secure, to generate and secure Bitcoin private keys and sign transactions in a way that's as removed from the internet as possible, reducing the attack service surface as much as possible. But, but to dumb this down for the listener, to interact with Bitcoin properly, to have true control over your Bitcoin, all you need to do is properly protect a Bitcoin private key. Does anyone else want to chime in here? I don't know if that hit or not, but just about private keys and what these wallets and signing devices actually are. Yeah, I think it's really important that people understand what that private key is. And that is what Dan's describing. It's a long um, chain of numbers that is condensed down into either 12 or 24 words. It's, it's also important to understand that when you get one of these signing devices, whether it's a cold card, a Trezor, or any other device, it's going to come with a card in there that's going to be blank. If you get one of these and the card is filled out for already and there's 12 words already on it, somebody has tampered with that. Don't use that. Get rid of that thing. It needs to generate this code for you while you're putting it together. You will see it happen. It will spit out these words. Uh, this is just a security thing for everyone listening because people have been scammed this way. They've gotten these hardware devices. They've got been tampered with. And then you use those 12 words or those 24 words. Somebody else has access to it because they already created that wallet. And now your money is gone. Yeah, I was going to add one more point, which I think is always fascinating, which is when we think about property rights in our the current world, pre-Bitcoin and even as Bitcoin exists, property rights are built upon our legal system and our identity. So we can prove we own this house because we have a deed that says our name on it, but then it's not the deed which is enforcing property rights, it's the legal system which enforces property rights. Now, where Bitcoin differs is it is like the truest form of property rights, but the property is not tied to our identity. The property is tied to the private key. And so whoever has that private key has access to that, that Bitcoin. And I think this is where people sometimes get a little confused because Bitcoin is built upon its property rights secured 
by cryptography, not property rights secured by the legal system. And I think that's, that's where it's really, really interesting. So never share your seed phrase, never share your private key, never share this information with anyone. Make sure you back it up because that is your property right. That's your right to your property. Yeah, and Seb said this before, if you don't have, that's the, that's the good um, sort of test to go through. If, if they've given you your words, you, 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 you know, you have control of your keys if you don't. So with exchanges, right, um, just to go back to exchanges for a second, I, I haven't come across an exchange where they're actually giving you a seed phrase that manages that wallet. And indeed, they probably don't even have a segregated wallet. It's just a, a balance and a claim to some Bitcoin on on whatever interface they, they, they're giving you to look at. It's probably, if they even own Bitcoin, it's probably batched together with a whole heap of others. And it's just like, oh, Dan has, you know, point one of a Bitcoin. That That's his claim. And then I think the recent FTX debacle, which was a massive exchange, global exchange that completely collapsed, um, they didn't have the enough Bitcoin on their balance sheet against the claims on their balance sheet. So their liabilities for, for Bitcoin, um, uh, what p- people thought they owned in terms of a Bitcoin balance, that exchange physically did not own the Bitcoin. So... That's just something else you just got to be really, really careful of. It's just because it says there's one Bitcoin. I mean, that's that's everyone, you know, plebs dream to stack a whole Bitcoin. But if you had one Bitcoin on there, there is no, nothing to say that that exchange physically owns that Bitcoin. And all all it is is a liability on them to, to go. So that's why it's so important to, if you are stacking a decent amount, and I kind of liken it to, like people often ask me, how, how often are you moving your, your Bitcoin off exchanges. And I kind of keep it like, how, how much would I be really upset if I lost? So for me, it's about a thousand bucks worth of, worth of Bitcoin. So I'll use my exchange. I DCA every day. I'm buying it every day to try and iron out the volatility. And when it gets to about a thousand dollars worth of Australian, it's going to be, yeah, you know what? I work really hard. I'm a blue collar worker. I, I, I'll be upset if I lost that. So as soon as it's getting to that level of comfort, that's when I start to look at other options. And it's the same with a with a hot wallet. So there's there's two probably distinctions, um, and I'm, I'm careful of throwing out too many um, t- too much terminology for this because it's a, it's a lot to grok. But um, even with hot wallets, there's things called custodial hot wallets and non-custodial hot wallets. So a custodial hot wallet is the same thing. It's a hot wallet. I would argue it's better than an exchange, but you're still putting an inherent amount of trust in that particular entity to manage your keys because those custodial wallets don't give you your own key. There are, oh, sorry, non-custodial. Um, I'm getting them confused now. Custodial don't give you your key. For non-custodial, it's where, it's where you own it. They, they're going to give you, it generates a key. So there's two distinctions between those hot wallets as well. You just got to be mindful of. And again, I, I keep it like the, the, the analogy I like to use for a hot wallet is how much cash am I willing to walk around in my normal physical wallet? And that's about the limit for me as well. You know, it's a couple of hundred bucks. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. That's my spending. It's when I go to conferences and I'm reimbursing other plebs for paying for the Uber and all that sort of stuff. I'm using a hot wallet for that because it's nice and easy. And I'm comfortable using a, a custodial solution with that. Um, I'm comfortable with them managing that key because that's not a lot of wealth to me. Uh, and the, likelihood of a rug pull um even if it were to occur it's it's not going to be devastating for me so i'm never gonna store my major stack on a hot wallet ever um so it's more like making it useful and 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 practical and again how much am i going to be pissed if i lost 
and that's your limit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's around the number that I typically think about for hot wallets as well. Um, coincidentally, that's also the number. So like uh, when I'm buying Bitcoin on Swan, I DCA for a period of time. I generally will wait till I have like a, at least 500, more like a thousand dollar balance before I'll decide to move that off. And this as an aside as well, just a little bit of terminology I want to get out of the way before we keep moving on. The re There's a couple of good reasons for keeping the amount that you move off these exchanges fairly high to like 500 or $1,000. The primary one is um, you don't want to have a wallet full of UTXOs, which are unspent transaction outputs that are small. And in the last month or so, we saw the reason for that, which is when, when the fees are high in Bitcoin, the problem with the small amounts, say... Say it was a $50 amount in a UTXO. Um, so here, I'm going to back up for a second. So when I say, when we're talking about Bitcoin, for, this is for the listener, UTXOs are basically, um, if you're thinking of uh, Bitcoin as a dollar bill, one, let's say one Bitcoin's a $100 bill, and I send Dan a tenth of a Bitcoin. When I send that transaction, that one Bitcoin comes out of my wallet, 10% of it goes to Dan, 90% of it comes back to me. So I now have another UTXO or another dollar bill in my wallet that is equivalent of 0.9 Bitcoin. If you, if you start whittling that down to a very small amount, the transaction fees start to become a large percentage of the UTXO or the money you're spending. So it turns into what people refer to as dust, which is where this um, transaction is so expensive that you can't economically make sense of spending this small amount of Bitcoin. So if you start getting these small bits of Bitcoin in your wallet, you start running into a problem if you can't spend it because it's too expensive to spend in certain situations. Yeah, so um, Bitcoin transactions are based on data size, not not the amount. So you know, it, it's not doesn't matter how much you transact; it's how many of those UTXOs it has to stack. Right. So if you had if you had ten UTXOs with point one and you wanted to spend one Bitcoin, that transaction is going to be more expensive because it's stacking all of the data that exists in managing those 10 UTXOs to consolidate that into one transaction. So the more UTXOs, just to your point, Josh, the more UTXOs you have, the more expensive those transactions are going to occur. And that's why it's important to keep your UTXOs in a manageable size just to reduce your future transaction costs. Um, but on the flip side to that, it's actually good to have you don't want to stack everything in a one UTXO either because yes. of privacy concerns. So, um, yeah, I, that's so there's why a happy I, middle ground. Yeah. And, and that's I, why I, I think, I think about it like, sorry to interrupt you. I just think about it as like, if you don't want to carry around a hundred dollars with a pennies because it's a pain in the ass yeah. to spend that kind of money with pennies. Right. So you, you want to carry it around and say like $10 bills. It makes it a little simpler when you're doing transactions. It's kind of the same thing in Bitcoin where you want to hold you don't want massive bills. You don't want to carry around a $10,000 bill, but you, and you also don't want to carry around rolls of pennies. So you want to have this kind of strategic amount of UTXOs that are in the, uh, a size that makes sense. And for, uh, in my mind, it, it's around $500 to $1,000 if you can manage that as you're pulling these out of exchanges. One of the things I think is really, really fascinating, and I don't think we've touched on this yet. Well, actually, we may have touched on one of the first episodes, which is the fact that when you're transacting, it's not the exactly as dad said it's not the dollar value but the bite size and so if if right. let's say hypothetically dan was absolutely minted and sent me 10 bitcoin that 10 bitcoin i now have one utxo for 10 bitcoin now if i wanted to go and send this 10 bitcoin to josh it would be a pretty cheap transaction because i'm sending one bitcoin using one ut uh, sorry 10 bitcoin using one utxo however 
if I wanted to go and send Daz, let's just say 25 sats, but those 25 sats were all in independent UTXOs, that 25 sats, which equates to, I don't know, a few cents, is going to cost more as a transaction than sending 10 Bitcoin. And so recognizing that Bitcoin uh, transactions are all built upon size or block space rather than the dollar value is really, it's an interesting point that people don't tend to think about. UTXO size matters. Um, huh. the, the, the thing I was going to, the, the, the UTXO discussion, I think all four of us would agree for someone that's a little puckered right now. I would put it in the intermediate Bitcoiner uh, bucket. For sure. It is something that I didn't know shit about for a long period of time while I was stacking Bitcoin. And I think a lot of our peers know nothing about, and I've chosen to basically not tell them because I don't think they're completely ready for it. It's going to freak them out a little bit. So if you're freaked, chill, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be okay. If you want more on this, in the notes, we had a discussion specifically about UTS to UTXO management fees, privacy, the whole thing with Tom Hanzik from Unchained Capital. We'll link that down in the notes. Great discussion. I learned a lot from him. And um, I think I think the main actionable takeaway here is for some of this brand new, it's like, wait, I want to do something with this UTXO thing because you guys just don't, don't move $10 of Bitcoin. Don't move $10 of Bitcoin every day to your hardware wallet. Wait till bigger yep. chunks accumulate, not huge, but decent sized chunks then whisk them off over to cold storage. Yeah, it's definitely a more advanced topic and um you, you know as you as you do learn more you can you can even do active UTXO management with certain wallets but it's definitely outside the purview of the of the sort of typical beginner. Um the only other thing I'd just touch on before we move off UTXOs is is that thing about privacy and why that matters is because if I send um you know Seb 10,000 sats and I've got a 10 bitcoin UTXO um it by providing that transaction to Seb, he can backwards look using the transaction ID and he can um, point into, sorry, I'm just noticing, um, Josh has just got- Yeah, hold on, quick break, Jack, needs, Josh a, needs to put a lasagna He's in a great the house here, husband. Folks. What a legend. Yeah. He, he, uh, he said before we started recording that um, oh, we're going to have to duck off and put the lasagna on and we were cracking up and we, he's like, well, just edit it out. And I said, no, nah, that bad boy's staying in. What a, Josh what a, knows what his a way ar- Josh knows his way around a lasagna. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, I, 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 we at work the other day actually. Um, I would we were in a very lively discussion with my shift. Josh and I are on different shifts, but red shift is the shift I'm on, and we were ranking best cooks at the department. And guys got butt hurt, dude. I ranked my top five. Uh, Brian, my buddy, wasn't in my top five, and I, it looked like I gutted him, dude. He was he was just. But Josh, Josh is not top five, but. I had Josh bouncing around inside the top 10, which is saying something because of the 50 dudes we have, there are some incredible chefs. Josh, do you think that's fair now that you're back from the lasagna? Have you in the top 10, top fives extreme, but top 10's fair? I I think that's fair. Yeah. Dude, I'd be, I'd blush if you said top five. I really would. Nah, dude, I I can't give you that. Wait, I was telling them, I was talking with uh, Redshift the other day. I was ranking my top five. I got to rate you now. I'd say... I think maybe you, you could edge into the top 10, maybe. No, I don't no, know. being real, this isn't me just playing coy. There's no way I'm in the top 10. I, I think, think I'm be. definitely top 20. I put myself there. Um, who's been, Dan, um, who's Dan been, just killed his ego right there. Who's been posting the vids of the new barbecue? Uh, that's me. That's but you. Josh has one too now. We actually got Blackstones at all of our stations and guys have been going bananas for him. I, I cheaped out and got an insert for my Weber, which 
it's pretty it fucks pretty hard but the problem is it doesn't have as much surface area you know like the you really get you get treated on the blackstone with a huge surface area for cooking all right where are we at what are we uh um can i transition can i transition us here i want to i want to do just or did anyone have anything else on utxos or should we move no i think we should move on should we loosen the listener butthole and get them less scared? I, I was just going to say one quick thing before we yeah. transition, which is basically to summarize, like in your exchange, you don't want to hold any more than you would be, as Dan said, like butthurt. If you're butthurt, if you lose it, then <laughs> you've got too much on your exchange. Your hot wallet is awesome yep. as like your general wallet that you hold in your pocket. If you're someone to steal your wallet, again, that's about the amount that you want to have on your hot wallet and your cold wallet uh, is where you're going to hold your savings. That's where you're going to hold kind of the, the big yeah. money of what you care about. I think one of the most important things, though, that we need to just slam home as hard as we can, because I think it's one of the most important parts of this discussion, is as long as you're putting that seed key that you generate on your own signing device, whether that be a cold card, Trezor, Ledger, uh, whatever it is, as long as you are keeping that segregated from an internet-related computer or an internet-connected computer, and you are storing that in a safe place, backing that up on some seed plates that are made out of stainless steel so that in the worst case scenario, your house burns to the ground. Dan and I are there, you know, watching it burn to the ground. <laughs> you can still back up your money. That is the primary biggest thing that we need to communicate today is that yes. you need to have those seed keys. You need it on a segregated device that is not connected to the internet because 99% of this is simply segregation from the internet. That's 99% of the security. The other 1% is something that, you know, you can get edging closer to the more complicated you make things. There's also the danger of getting in, getting ahead of your skis and completely screwing yourself by setting up, say, a multi-sig before you know how to do it properly. And um, we don't want to see that happen to anybody. We want to just keep it basic to start with. Yes, yes. Realistically, for the for the beginner that's, that's still with us here it's they have bitcoin that they've purchased on an exchange and they have their first hopefully rock solid bitcoin hardware wallet there are multiple options that work i think all four of us would agree the cold card fucks hard this device has stood the test Seedingly of time it's hard. used by it's used by pretty much everyone that's dead serious in the space owns one of these cold card fucks hard okay and 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 so what I was wrapping in there was realistically, Bitcoin on an exchange, they're setting up their first device. Hopefully it's a rock solid device like the cold card. And what are these devices? Josh, you just hit at it. I'm going to reiterate it. Essentially what a good signing device or Bitcoin hardware wallet does is it isolates, I'll call it key management from internet connected devices. So if I was to explain what the cold card is designed specifically to do, extremely well and extremely securely. You have an internet connected device that sends transaction details to this hardware wallet. Then that device signs the transaction and then sends the unlocked transaction back to the computer. That's how like spending and moving Bitcoin would work. And that's what these devices are built to do. You could have malware on the on your computer. Someone could have complete control of your MacBook. They can't fuck with your Bitcoin because this device is designed to protect it off the internet. Right. The other thing about these devices, which we've hinted at, a good hardware wallet, like a cold card, which can do a ton of cool shit, but one of the things it's the best at is generating keys. It, it will it, it, A good hardware wallet generates that random number, that private key for you, 
And something like the cold card gives you optionality to do it in your own way. You can dice roll to add your own entropy. So you know for sure there's no possible way right. anyone could know what's going on. The, 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 the rabbit hole here is deep, but that's why getting the right device, something like a cold card, we say this in our ads all the time, but we mean it. And we only align with companies that we we use and used before the show. It's right. that this that a device like this is something that you can set up in 15 minutes if you've never done it before in basic configuration, but then also really grow into with all this extra cool optionality if your technical aptitude scales. The um, I think one of the thing I want to add to that is why, I mean, people ask, why would you buy a cold card versus a ledger or a Trezor? And my my biggest takeaway, and this is my simple understanding of this stuff, I'm not somebody who programs, but there's an NVK quote. I think, Dan, you tweeted this earlier. Additional code is an attack vector. Trezor and Ledger both allow you to put any number of shit coins on there. But what they need to have in addition to the Bitcoin um, wallet software is they need the addition of all these other things on there, which introduces attack vectors potentially un unknown. I mean, they haven't been hacked as far as we know, but having those additional things on there isn't necessarily good for security. It could it could potentially be bad for security. Yeah, I was going I was going to add one more thing which I thought was pretty fascinating, which is Dan touched on it and like the cold card and many of the other wallets out there, you have a few other features and these features are incredible at being able to just add that extra layer of security. One of the the features that I've personally used, so during obviously this whole breakdown in society in the authoritarian state of Canada, uh, I fled to Mexico. And when I was fleeing to Mexico, I had my hardware wallet with me and I was petrified. I was just like, man, what happens if as I'm driving over the Mexico border into uh, Mexicali, one of the roughest places in Mexico, what happens if someone puts a gun to my head and asks me to transact and send them whatever it is that's on my hardware wallet? And so one of the features you can add is you can add, so with most hardware wallets, you're going to get 24 seed words. You can add a 25th seed word, which basically creates a whole new private key. And with that new private key, you can then send some Bitcoin to it. So now if someone puts a gun, a gun to my head and then it says, show me what you've got on your hardware wallet, I can log in with an alternate password and I can truly show them what is on the wallet and I can show them, hey, look, there's 50 bucks on here, there's 100 bucks on here. I can send it to them, but I've just entered in an alternate password to my actual password, which has all of my other funds. So you can use these tiny little tactics just to create an extra layer of security. Right. And there's yeah. also, they have a brick pin as well. So you could give someone a fake pin that when that's placed into the device, the device automatically smokes itself. It erases all of the, uh, any of the memory that would have your seed stored on it and it's it's gone. But then you better have some other backup. You better have a seed plate somewhere because not only did you just screw the attacker out of your Bitcoin, you just screwed yourself out of it as well if you don't have a backup. Um, but there, yeah, there's a ton of nuances and details you can dive into with, uh, with the cold card that make it an extremely cool thing and a nerd's paradise. But as Dan mentioned earlier, you can also set this thing up in an extremely simple manner and just use it for its basic uh, intuitive design that works really well. So um, just sort of circling back to a point earlier that that Dan made is, is these hardware wallets are nothing more really than a, a signing device. So we mentioned earlier, you can remember 12 or 24 words in your head. Basically that, that hardware device is just managing that key for you so you don't have to rely on your brain so i would you know just because you can don't rely on your brain uh so these, these are what these devices are for 
And it's basically just to make your ability to sign a transaction um, uh, easier, right? So in a, in a typical world, uh, if you were to enact a transaction to somebody, you would say, okay, give me your password, right? Give me your private key. So basically all your hardware device is then doing is just cryptographically signing that transaction to say, yes, I am indeed the owner of this private key and I'm authorizing you to release those funds from that ledger record on the blockchain. And you're basically just using that, confirming that transaction and then broadcasting that to to the network. And then everybody's checking that, yes, here's the, here's the UTXO, that, that balance of Bitcoin. Here's the person who owns that Bitcoin. And it's been signed by the person who is in possession of the key in order to unlock that. And that's essentially all it's doing. It's just helping you manage that key in an in a easier way. And the other important thing I would highlight, we've touched on this backup, this, this, the, you know, the seed phrase, these words, the backups, all that sort of thing is like, there's a fundamental kind of overarching theme is if, if anybody or any bit of software is asking you to enter in your private key, do not do that. Always assume that it's an attack vector because, uh, there's a plenty of scams. You might one day go and brick whatever hardware device and you need to seek some help. So you go on a telegram chat or you go and seek some advice online. There are so many scammers lurking in there that seem very, very legitimate. And the biggest red flag is what is your seed phrase? Never, ever, ever put that in a computer. It's, it's, mm. a, it's a real flag to, for you to pause and think about what you're about to do. Because I can't even think of a scenario sitting here where you would need to put in your seed phrase physically into a device, uh, into into a, a bit of software or, or you know, talking, talking to um, any technical support. Yeah. It, we keep, I lo- one thing I love about this episode far, so far is we keep having like new reminders that pop in our head. We remember our previous self and things we do need to share. One thing that pops in right now is a new reminder for me is basics of where you store your device and your your words your backup words and this is especially coming from firefighters who have seen a lot of homes burnt down to the foundation or completely destroyed you should ideally not have your wallet and the backup in the exact same location where if you had a house fire or a flood they're hasta la vista you should have them you guys don't don't store your hardware wallet on your boat (laughs) i do yeah but it's not best practice. Yeah, you should you should have a scenario where you could have some event in your house and still have your Bitcoin. More advanced Bitcoiner options would have it to where your Bitcoin's not even accessible in your house, but we'd be getting into multi-sigs and more advanced things. But at its most basic, if you're if you're using single sig Bitcoin, here like practical takeaway. Maybe your hardware wallets in your house or your hardware wallets in your shed. And your backup words are in your basement or something. Just two areas. If one if one room caught on fire, your Bitcoin's not gone. The other comment I wanted to make to throw in here is I think there's some confusion for people that are using proprietary interfaces to interact with Bitcoin. So like if you have a ledger and you're using Ledger Live, and I'm not like completely knocking or lambasting Ledger, but people are kind of mentally confined thinking like, well, what happens if Ledger goes out of business? I've heard people say that, like, what happens if Ledger goes out of business or Trezor goes out of business? It's like, let's get back to understanding what these devices are doing. These devices are just holding a massive number, a Bitcoin private key. You can use a Ledger in another desktop wallet that has nothing to do with Ledger, right? You could plug your words 
from your ledger into and use your ledger on Sparrow Wallet or Spectre Wallet. The same thing is true of a Trezor, Cold Card, all these devices. They yeah. can be used in different places. So let's say you wanted, and I'm not saying this is best practice, but just for an example, you want to move the same private key from a Trezor somewhere else. Well, you could you could use a Cold Card to protect the key that's currently on your Trezor. Yeah. And I think if you want to go more intermediate, if you're listening, you're like, whoa, I didn't know that. Do this. Try this. Recognize that you're not trapped within some silo of one company. You can, you can, all that's being protected is a private key, and you can move that private key to different devices. And this is the one thing to keep just stroking off cold card because we are firm believers. The one thing that I really appreciate about this device is that I feel like once people are done setting it up, they do have a clear understanding of how this whole dynamic works. They're more aware of, oh, this is just protecting a key. I can go anywhere, plug this device in and access the key. They're not sort of trapped within this really like ultra easy to use proprietary interface. Although there, there may be benefits to that for some people, graduating further is, is getting a desktop wallet like say Sparrow and plugging in yeah. a device to that and interacting with Bitcoin more intimately and realistically. I think, um, I think at this point we need to, let's move on and just talk just briefly about multi-sig here. And I think, especially because we're, we're talking to more of the beginner oriented people here, I wouldn't say that you should go out there and get Sparrow Wallet um, and just throw together a multi-sig and do it all yourself. I think what the more responsible thing to do or to recommend for people that are uh, relatively new to the space is to check out Unchained Capital. So what they do, yep. they do collaborative custody. They handhold you. And Dan and I have both set up vaults. It's, as, it's so simple. You don't have to really know what you're doing to do it even without their help. You can go to their website. You can, you can log in. They do KYC you. So you are putting your KYC information into another place, which I know we said isn't a good idea, but in this case, I, I think it's worth doing, especially if you're very new and you want multi-sig. So it's it's basically, you're going they're going to help you set up this multi-signature wallet setup. So you'll have to have two signing devices. So like two cold cards, a cold card and a Trezor, or however you want to do that. I believe they use cold card, ledger and Trezor at this time. I don't think you can use any other wallets there. They will guide you through this process. They'll give you a, an address that you can send your money to. And then from there on, they will, they'll ask you every 90 days to verify your device, which is a good practice because you make sure that your device is up to date. You've got the newest firmware. You, they check the keys are all valid. It, and then when you want to move it off, it takes two of your signatures. But the great thing about this, there's a couple of great things about this kind of collaborative custody. Number one, you can have your information out there in case something happens to you. And they can walk your significant other or whoever you're leaving your Bitcoin to in the future, they can walk them through how to help recover this money if you hadn't told them about it previously. That's number one. <laughs> I'm having trouble thinking of number two here. What? <laughs> Somebody help me out. Why did I just completely <laughs> lost the plot there? Number one. No, no that's good one. though. That, no, that's collaborative custody. Wait, 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 but to piggyback, to, to finish it, and then I'll hand it to you, Seb. Basically, what, what Josh <laughs> just said with number one. Uh, was inheritance planning is is the weak link in, in your in your setup, right? You if if your self custody setup, ladies and gentlemen, is not equipped for your Bitcoin to be passed on to whoever you want to inherit it, your setup is not right. I make absolutely sure that if something happens to me when I go to work or I drive to the gym or whatever, that my wife is going to have access to the most pristine asset that's ever existed, okay? 
So this is where something like collaborative custody and Unchained is a killer option because it's super easy from an from an inheritance right. planning standpoint oh, here, I'm to plug jump another in two. to plug another episode for someone that wants more on inheritance planning and uh and collaborative custody. We talked to Justine Harper from Unchained. We'll also link that down in the notes. Okay, so real quick, I'm going to get to number two here, and then we'll kick it off to you guys. Number two is is that you, you basically have the ability to disseminate your seed phrases, right? Because you're producing three of them on three different devices. If one of those devices breaks on you or you lose the seed uh, key, whatever the plate, you lose it completely. You can uh, Unchained can help you sign the transaction to move it to another vault or whatever. Um, and then they also there's a there's a bit more complication when it comes to multi-sig. I don't want to scare the hell out of people here, but basically they're going to save the wallet configuration file and they're going to save one of your seeds. You're going to hold the other two. You have complete access to your money. They do not because they only have one of the three keys and it takes two out of three to sign. So they're basically your safety. They're the people that are going to save your ass if you majorly shit the bed. And uh, shitting the bed is is the one thing you don't want to do with this because there's nobody to call. There's no one that can help you and there's no one that can break uh, most of these signing devices. I can say for cold card, no one has broke it. For Trezor, there's uh, some YouTube videos out there where people have. So use those with caution. Well, I was about to say when shitting the bed, to be honest, there's no one I want to call when I've shit the bed. So it's, but anyway. Uh, you call us, said, yeah, said, no, by you, the way. You call the paramedics in town and we... Uh, we put on pull you five masks and I we, we get you from between the toilet and the wall, you know, hurt our backs lifting the 300 pound lady that shit her pants and drive her to the hospital. I, I'm sensitive to the odors, by the way. That's my <laughs> weakness as a medic. Uh, I I struggle um, big time. I've, I've definitely gagged in front of numerous patients and had to apologize. No, fuck that. Uh, I actually got thrown up on the other week. Josh, this guy just barfed all over me. Um, <laughs> Shame. And then I almost barfed. That was the thing. I almost sympathetic. He barfed on me. I had it all over the left sleeve of my whoopee. Thank goodness it wasn't bare skin. And then I almost threw up on him. Rookie move, man. You should have had a green barf bag ready. We have You're these right, like airplane was. barf bags for people like, oh shit, get it on his face quick. It's coming. I've only been on seven years. Josh has been on 11. So he knows a few more tricks <laughs> of the trade. Go ahead. Dude, barf I, I was going to say one. one more point as well, which kind of expands on your second point there, Josh, which is I think one of the benefits of multi-sig when you're using a three, uh, a two of three or a three of five is you have a little more redundancy. Like accidents happen. And every so often we will lose yeah. a private key. Uh, and of, of course, we don't want that to happen. And if you've got a single uh, signature setup, hopefully you have a backup. But in the event that you lose, at least you've got a little bit of redundancy in the system. Anyway, one of the things that I was going to expand on a little bit earlier is that Josh kind of discussed when it comes to multi-sig, rather than going straight down the rabbit hole and understanding like, absolutely every little fine detail it's better to go with unchained or, or or some of these kind of other options that kind of help guide you through this process and what i would say when it comes to single sig setups so just a single signature setup on on your own little hardware wallet is and i've done this both myself on every single hardware wallet i use i've done this with my mom when i guided her through self-custody i've done this with my girlfriend I've, I've guided a few friends through this process which is when i set up a new hardware wallet what i do is I obviously you generate the c phrase you then send, rather than sending all your Bitcoin straight to that hardware wallet, I send a small test transaction. That test transaction of 10, 20 bucks just confirms that the hardware wallet is receiving the money and the money is on my hardware wallet. And then what I do is I wipe the hardware wallet. I wipe it clean. I then re-enter the seed phrase to make sure that I wrote down my seed phrase correctly. Now this does two things. One, it confirms that you wrote down your seed phrase correctly. But two, you're 
you're verifying that you understand how the hardware wallet actually works and you're recognizing that your private key is your seed phrase. And I think this just adds a little more depth and understanding as to how the system works. Uh, and so I highly recommend everyone send a test transaction, wipe the wallet, enter the seed phrase again, just to make sure that you've written down your seed phrase correctly before sending any large funds. Yeah, it's a really good point too, Seb, because even if that um, hardware wallet was to shit itself, you've just proven to yourself that you know how to, you can go and buy a new hardware wallet and then put your seed phrase into a, into a brand. And it doesn't have to be the same brand, right? That seed phrase should go across multiple devices, so it shouldn't matter. Uh, and that's the whole process. You've just basically proven to yourself, you've wiped it, you've reset it. You're not playing with big funds, so your risk is really small. And it's and it's a good like tuition fee, even if you've got to play multiple fees or you fuck it up the first go around or whatever the case is. You're playing with small amounts, and I guess it's it's just you can you can do that. You don't have to have a hardware wallet. You can do similar things with um with like hot wallets and stuff like that. So it's an iterative sort of process. You can go through step by step. Go to a hot wallet. Start fucking around with it. Start sending funds in between two hot wallets. Try and back up that seed phrase on a new hot wallet. Start playing with that. Then go and get your 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 cold wallet, and that's really for your big stack. And do exactly like Seb said. Send a little bit around. Send it back. Play with it. Send it to a hot wallet. Send it back again. So it's worth spending, even if it were a couple of hundred dollars on fees. God forbid it. Well, it won't be. But even if it, if it was, if you're if you're 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 treating this asset like generational wealth, like a lot of us view it, it's worth the tuition fee. To, to go and, and, and push your knowledge to the boundaries. <clears throat> and like, don't be scared of the cold cards are packed full of features. You don't have to use them, um, you know, and, and backups are really important. But again, don't be scared. Uh, like you, you need to put it on steel. You do need to put it on steel. You, you want to be mitigating against those <clears throat> single points of attack, right? So a fire, you don't want all your 24 words written down on a piece of paper that can puff up in a bit of smoke, you know? Um, and also it's a really good point. Seb said it earlier. There's a new, and I forget the, the, the protocol number, but it's a, a, a new sort of iteration on those 24 words. You can have that 25th word. So if that 25th word is something you're really familiar with, um, then you're just putting an extra layer of security in case something happened like J- Josh and Jen, um, Jen, sorry, Jen, Josh and Dan, <laughs> come into your house right they're firefighters that you've just had a fucking house fire and they stumble across this steel plate like they know what this shit is right but if you've got that 25th word that's not written down on there you're protecting you're protecting yourself and one really how'd you cool think thing, we got our bitcoin das yeah <laughs> that's right so you stacked it the other other really cool thing i i saw the other day which is just worth bringing up because i found it amusing was like steel like you, you there's steel plates you can engrave these things on there's steel plates that you can you know, use a hole punch and you can punch them into there. There's other ways you can stack. Um, if you've got, uh, you know, a, a ABC or one, two, three um, pin punches, you can stamp them onto, you know, word one, put the word down onto a stainless steel washer and stack it onto a bolt. That's a really easy oh, yeah. way for you to be able to do that. They There's yourself. a jig you can get from Crypto Cloaks. If, if you have a 3D printer, they make a jig that you can print very simply. I have a couple of them. They're sweet. And I've made... I've made seed seed phrases on just stainless steel washes. It's it's not the fastest way to do it, but it's it, it you put it on a bolt afterwards, you put a wing nut on it, and like nobody's gonna run across that and be like, Oh, I know what that is. And they're easier I mean, to shell than the us. big steel plates, right? If you need to get across the water, you know? Yeah. You yeah. just shove that right Those, up your butt, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just I go the, I go with the eight mil. You get the I'm smaller not, I'm not quite a twelve mil guy yet. 
<laughs> but, not quite 12. Yeah, yeah. You work your way up there, you know, Dad, yeah, you'll get yeah. there. It's a training <laughs> process. It's an iterative process. You know, you just got to go through it. Hey, do you guys have any tapered? You guys have any tapered wing nuts here at Ace Hardware? Just like a real nice, <laughs> easy taper on. Them. <laughs> and, uh, just and while we're we at it, yeah. you got any KY jelly on the exit <laughs> aisle there? Or? This guy uh, just bought a bunch of washers, a giant bolt, a tapered wing nut, and some KY jelly. Some KYJ, not KYC. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Mean, real quick, I mean, of our this is episode one eleven. How many of the hundred and eleven episodes do you think we've had a joke about buttholes, butts. Josh? Uh, a good fifty percent of them, I yeah, bet. Unless we had like, you know, somebody we had to really lock it up for. Like, I don't think we talked with Preston about buttholes, but I feel like we're getting there with him. You know, I do too. Yeah, I feel like maybe next time. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Seb. Here's oh. a challenge for you. I I reckon you can't get Preston to say butthole. <laughs> I actually uh, that's used a, to that's play. That's a challenge I, we might take up. Oh God damn it! I'm about to sidebar here. Josh has heard this in college. I had these this good group of friends that we had this game. Oh boy, don't tell him this story, Dan. Cash game. This is a cash game in class, in lecture, in theology lectures. I was a Bible theology major, which makes it even more entertaining. And where we would we would have a deck of words, and they would have different values. So like dinosaur, gogurt, you know whatever. And like the most extreme words would be like penis, butthole, that sort of thing. And you had to work this in to questions you asked or ways you participated. <laughs> and there was a dollar value. Everybody had to pony up if you got the word in, uh, made, made college lecture way more entertaining when you see your buddy raise his hand and you know, he's about to participate and use the word gogurt or something. Anyway, sidebar. Just before we move on from these plates, cause there was one other really cool thing. And I, I can tell we probably won't get back to it. So I just wanted to Door jams, your 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 door hinges. Um, I saw a pleb took his door hinge off and inscribed his seed phrase on the inside of his door jam, and then screwed it back in. I mean, how many of those things have you got in your house? That's a great it's a good idea. Way, Brilliant. Good way of hiding it in in your in your home. So anyway, sorry, no, said no, no, no. I, I hope it didn't distract. I was going to say, so Daz used the word. If you take your seed phrase and you take it from, let's say, a ledger and put it into a treasure, it should. Now, the reason why he says should is because. When it comes to the way these different devices look at your seed phrase, sometimes if you take your seed phrase from, say, a ledger and put it into a treasure, they may, nothing may come up. And you may suddenly panic and be like, oh my God, has ledger got more my uh, Bitcoin? Or have I made a mistake? And this is a little more advanced, but it's more just to raise awareness. If this happens, it, you have not lost your Bitcoin. What's happened is that these different hardware devices have something called a derivation path. And this derivation path basically takes your seed phrase and then multiplies it by some random number. Now, this number is different on some different hardware devices. And so it will just show different wallets, wallets that don't hold any Bitcoin, but your, your wallet still exists. You've just got to make sure the derivation path is the same as the original right. wallet at which you uh, created the seed phrase from. So for instance, if you use a ledger, they're going to have a specific derivation path. And I believe that most ledger, treasure, cold card use the same derivation path. But if you're using some random, uh, I think there's one called elliptical right. or something like that. If you're using some random cold card, check that the derivation path is the same first. You probably haven't lost your Bitcoin. It's just a point to note. That's a really good point because I've done that and shit myself for so a good seven hours. So have I, yep. Trying to use a ledger on Sparrow Wallet and the derivation path. And it's basically just how they generate addresses as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's like if you imagine almost an infinite timeline, a huge timeline of numbers, what the derivation path does is it points to a specific spot on that timeline. So if, 
if your wallet that you reinstantiated, it has the wrong derivation path. It's looking at a different segment of those numbers instead of the segment the other wallet was looking at. That's so really that's good why point. Yeah. That's the reason what's it won't show up. What's the takeaway here? What's the takeaway here for the scared pleb? So in your walk us through that. So what did you do to rectify? You had a ledger, you plugged it into Sparrow, it didn't come up. What did you do next? To be honest, I would just like BTC yeah. sessions talks a lot about some of these deeper things. I'd jump on here. It's a challenge yeah. to discuss on oh, here, but what I would say that. is that if you reinstate your seed phrase on a different wallet and there's nothing there, don't panic. First, go try and see okay. if you can find if the derivation path from one wallet to the other is different. That's like 99% of the time, that's just going to be the issue. Uh, so I would dive into that first. Yeah, two things I think we should mention before we before we do end up ending this, which is BTC sessions, number one, some of the best resources uh, on YouTube in order to, yeah. if you're having a problem setting any of this stuff up that we've spoken about, he I almost guarantee you he has a video that'll walk you through it, that'll go step by step and make it very simple. The other thing is Sparrow Wallet. We've mentioned it in passing a couple of times. We haven't really explained what that is. For Cold Card, for example, there's no uh, bespoke software that CoinKite makes that it interoperates with the Bitcoin blockchain with. So what Sparrow is, is an open source platform that interoperates with Bitcoin and it needs, well, it doesn't need a signing device. You can use a hot wallet on it, but the best uh, way to use it is to have a signing device like a cold card. You would, so it's interoperating with Bitcoin. It's talking to the Bitcoin blockchain through either your node or Blockstream's node or whoever's node you pick. It creates a transaction. Then you have to connect. Well, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. You connect your uh, hardware wallet and you create a wallet in Sparrow using the seed phrase um, that's generated from the hardware wallet. It shares the XPubs, which is like the directions for it to get to your address. And then when you want to make a transaction, Sparrow is the software that will create the transaction. And your cold card is the thing that you plug in to sign the transaction. So Sparrow does all the work. Cold card comes in with a quick signature and it's broadcast to the uh, blockchain and it's, it's off to the races. So just for everyone listening that listened and heard Sparrow multiple times and didn't know what it was. Good call. Uh, here are, as we're rounding towards home here, I have five things I want to say real quick, and then I'll hand it to uh, Seb and Daz. Number one, Daz, you hinted on this earlier in the episode. Start experimenting. You don't have to do this overnight, but if you consider yourself a hardcore Bitcoiner, you found this episode helpful to overwhelming whatever it was on that spectrum. Get started in small quantities. Move $10 over to a cold card or whatever wallet and start moving things around. Get comfortable. Uh, use this because that's the only way to do it. And by the way, there is ownership in this. Nobody can really do this completely for you. Self-custody does demand something extra for you. And that's the world we're moving into monetarily here as Bitcoin continues to accrue more and more value is you have the ability to take more ownership of your money and a a exit a very fragile, fractionally reserved system and have full possession of a digital asset, like we said off the start. So get, get going. Start experimenting. Don't get overwhelmed. Baby steps. Number two, uh, this process is actually not that hard. It can sound that way if you're brand new and you know nothing about this. We did cover a lot of different things, which are going to be helpful for some, overwhelming for others. It's really not that difficult when you start from square one. We are going to link in the notes a five-minute video for how to set up a cold card in its most basic configuration. Start basic, scale from there. It's, it's genuinely not that overwhelming. But I do want to make one other comment, which is that 
as time goes on, Bitcoin custody and solutions and things built around Bitcoin will get easier. Exchanging an email in 1992 was a lot more challenging than it is today. And Bitcoin will get easier and easier and easier to use. So if you're sitting here going, oh, no one's, my grandma's never going to be able to, to do this. Well, that's what people would have said about, say, email for in the example I brought up years ago. It will get easier. Tons of solutions and, and innovation will be built on this foundational protocol. Number three is nodes. I was going to tie this into what Josh said a second ago about Sparrow. One of the beauties of running your own node is that you can confirm yourself through your own node that the Bitcoin you think you have is on the private keys that you have. So to tie self-custody into running your own node, you can link your node to say Sparrow, which Josh talked about a second ago, and you cannot trust but fully verify with your own hardware that the Bitcoin's there. Number four, DM or email any one of the four of us. Uh, we are extending that. If you are listening and you're overwhelmed and you want more resources or help or to be walked through any of this, shoot us an email or any one of us a DM. I think everybody agrees that's in the room here. For sure. And, and then we lastly, won't ask you for your seed phrase. Correct. We won't scam you. Um, and then lastly, Seven Daz's book, B is for Bitcoin, unpacks everything, basically everything we talked about in an approachable manner. We have, we have read this thing. Uh, they sent it to us before it was published, which made both of us feel extra special. A very accessible yet technical book that does get into a lot of self-custody. All right, I'm going to pass the baton here. Section five, acquiring Bitcoin. Section six, custody. It's basically exactly what we've spoken about today. All of those points you should find in there, plugging in our own book. But, uh, you know, it's it, that's what we wrote it for. For blue-collar people, jargon-free, trying to break down exactly what this shit is in an easy-to-understand, accessible manner. Um, the other thing I was going to just uh, quickly, uh, and I'm conscious of just going back on previous topics, but um, we mentioned earlier Bitcoin exchanges, Bitcoin-only exchanges. Same thing with your hardware wallet, really, if, you, if you're undecided. Bitcoin-only cold, you know, um, uh, cold storage devices, hardware devices, are typically better at securing Bitcoin. We're not talking about the other shit coins, you know, like Ledger's a, a good example. They, they, they cover all the other spectrum of shit coins, right? But Bitcoin-only devices have one thing, protect your fucking Bitcoin. They don't give a shit about all these other protocols that they have to account for and so forth. And the other thing I'd just like to highlight is there is an inherent level of trust you've got to put in these hardware manufacturers. And it's just been highlighted recently with uh, with some stuff going on with Ledger is that they've opened up another feature. Apparently it's an opt-in feature, but this feature actually allows your seed for, and I don't want people to absolutely shit themselves about this, but it, it's just important to highlight that you, you are putting trust in these, in these third-party systems. Ledger have been irresponsible in the past with leaking customer information. That's a that's a fact. All of their database, customer database, wasn't encrypted and it got leaked and it got published to the internet. Um, and Ledger have recently just put in this feature where you do a firmware update and you opt into this service and they can your your seed phrase can actually leave your device and it gets sharded into three separate pieces. And that's not multiple. That's with a that's with a D, not a T. <laughs> right, it's sharded, well, it's sharded it into the <laughs> underpants of the internet. 
So it's 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 full shouted in the under the internet and and it's broken up into three right, but it's not. Wait, Josh, that's a story we have to tell. You sharted at work a couple of years ago. We'll tell that one another time. Uh, sorry, yeah, go that, ahead. That's Des. too long of a story for this. Okay, well, sorry. I'm, go ahead. I'm captain of the shit your pants club in my circle of friends, so we'll share that on the next episode. <laughs> but um, so the you know there's just back to it. Just so the, this your your seed phrase can actually there's an option there for your seed phrase to leave the device, which is a fucking massive no no. So. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly how that works and split into three. They're saying it's, it can be split into three. Yeah, so my understanding entities. of it, just real quick. So when the CEO, I just want to be fair. I just want to make sure we're not scaring the, this is my understanding from what he said and he was with NVK. So I think he would have been called on his bullshit if this wasn't true. Sure. It's, it's Shamir. So Shamir turns it into like a three of five. Uh, if I understand that correctly from using Trezor before, yeah, then it's, encrypted and sent to three different servers that are in different geographical locations. The problem is, I mean, the problem that I've think and NVK had with the whole process is that if, if for some reason you have some kind of a political problem or not political, but if you, if one of these countries puts you under political pressure, the custodian of that is going to give it up. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Like if you're in Canada, Trudeau is going to make those weasels scream and they're going to hand it over. And in France and in the UK, I think was the other one of the US, whichever it is, it's not impossible to think that these, <laughs> these, sh these pieces of shart can end up back in the wrong people's hands, you know? And then in that case, <laughs> in that case, you I'm are going to potentially, <laughs> I can't even take this serious <laughs> right now. In that case, um, your, your Bitcoin is in the hands of other people, which is obviously the entire point of this. You don't want a situation where your sharded pieces of Bitcoin are in other people's hands and uh, could be uh, taken from you by the government of France, the UK, Canada, the US, whoever. So, so, the, uh, so basically, mind, just don't do not do this. In my mind, to mitigate against these pieces of shot who are trying to get get to your keys, it, 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 it's, we've, we've mentioned multiple times that multi-sig is, is the next level. But it really is, if you've got quite a significant stack it's where you absolutely need to get to and there are services that can help and i guess the only other thing which has really highlighted the importance of multi-sig for me um recently is to diversify your exposure to any one entity as well so i personally have used cold cards as multi-sig and I, I and i do i put an inherent level of trust in in mvk and what they do because they're so open about what they're doing um however it has made me pause and think how much trust am I putting into that particular entity? So perhaps I need two different hardware manufacturers to mitigate mm -hmm. some of that risk and then a third collaborative custody. For there, sure. And he your... would say that himself. I've heard him say that before. He said that exactly. on the show. Get a cold card, get a Trezor or get a Ledger. Not that Seed he advocates signer. either of those, yeah. but like any any combination is better than just one company's device. And like you've got a. You're, you're, you're responsible now for storing your generational wealth for your family into the future. You're going to have to just spend a little bit of time on this. Just keep involved in the community. Keep your finger on the pulse. Listen to a couple of, you know, if you listen to just three podcasts a week or something like that from some of the, you know, the McCormacks, the Vallises, you know, the, 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 you know, the blue collar Bitcoin boys, they get the people on within the space relatively quickly when there is a big news event. See, it's not like you have to be dialed in at Twitter 24-7, but if you're just keeping your finger on the pulse within what's happening in the community, you'll keep on top of any really major shakeups. You know, like um, 
probably in particular, the one, the absolute one to listen to is Marty Benton, Odell, the rabbit hole recap each week. Because mm, they guys. will tell you exactly what the fuck is going on in 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 the space in in all aspects from software to hardware to everything and they'll and they'll pull it mm. through and they hold no punches like they they're not beholden to anybody um and they've shit on their own sponsors before when they've when they've played up so you know you you, you can put a little bit of trust in the fact that they will tell you what's going on seb why don't you close us out eloquently here can i just say before said before said tease off seb can you hold up your pen we flag to each other if anyone's on audio only we flag to each other that's a Bitcoiner right there. Check out that fucking pen, guys. He is stacking sats. He is. <laughs> he's not thing? wasting any money on fancy pens. Like you know, no, look at this shit. One. That okay. thing's see through. This is, is like a, a shit coin. Look at this. It's, it's like a feather without. It's like quill without a feather on it. Um, yeah. really quick before we end this, I want to have. I want to give some people actionable advice on what I think they should do if they don't have any of this. This is basically use Swan DCA slowly. Take out. Increments of five hundred to a thousand dollars. Get Sparrow Wallet, and if you don't understand how to use it, use a BTC Sessions video to help you out. Get a cold card, set it up in simple single sig in Sparrow, and again reference BTC Sessions on YouTube if you're having any trouble. Get a seed plate, a metal seed plate to put your keys on, um, and this setup does a few things for you. It gets you in the pool, the the shallow end, but you have, you can you've got tons of room to grow from this setup right here, and. You get your Bitcoin in an extremely secure setup. And then from there, you can wade into the deep end and worry about multi-sig and all of that. But that's the simple, basic stuff that you should do now. And you'll be in a much better place than custodial ownership or even a hot wallet. Like that is, this is the, that's the 80%. You know what I mean? Like that's the, the major stuff you want to get done. The other 20% can come whenever. Well said. Seb, you got anything before we close this out? I would out? just say one thing that is always like when I when I started diving down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin, one thing that truly drew my attention and just kind of really was profound to me was the fact that if you want to own gold, you have to have physical custody of it. If you want to set up a bank account, you have to give so many details. Someone on the back end has to create an account. You've got many individuals who have the capacity to see this information and so on. When it comes to Bitcoin, if you're really motivated to know a little bit of math, you can sit there and flip a coin 256 times and generate what's called your private key. And then you can do a little bit of complex math, which is above my math level, to generate what's called the public key from that private key. And all of a sudden, from sitting at a table and writing down some numbers, you've created an account that someone can send you Bitcoin. That is, to me, I just think that is incredible. You could store billions of dollars of wealth in something mm. you've just flipped a coin 256 times. Like I, I just blown away so by cool. that absolutely blown away and so I, I would say to anyone out there like we highly recommend like playing around and just diving in deep it's not as intimidating as it seems and even when i first started listening to these conversations about multi-sex and self-custody and so on i was i like all of us were intimidated and i think anyone would be lying if they said they weren't intimidated but once you start playing around with this stuff it's just like how you have to learn how to send a wire transfer and you got to find your iban number and your swift number and all this kind of stuff it's the same type of thing. You just got to learn the ins and outs of any system. And it really is not that uh, complex once you get it set up. So anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Back to how empowering and groundbreaking this technology is. You can go beyond institutional grade asset security on this tiny little plastic calculator that I'm holding right here. And that is unbelievable when you really start to, to unpack that. And it's very liberating.
And it's a big freaking deal. And it's a re it's one of the main reasons this ability is one of the main reasons that that Bitcoin is such a radically inclusive world changing technology. Uh, I'll finish up by saying this is probably one of the most important episodes that I think we've done or, or could have done through this whole series. Um, you know, like everyone said, I won't, won't repeat any, anything there. Cause it was all, all really great points. The only other thing I would say is with great power comes great responsibility. Hat, you know, hat tip to uncle Ben from Spider-Man. Um, it is, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's on you, uh, jump in, have a play, don't be scared. Um, play around with a small amount of funds and just it's it's fun as fuck man like honestly it is so empowering so when you start to really grok it and you you're really holy shit what have i what am i responsible for here and what are the profound implications for humanity it really is it, it's it's all you need to motivate you to want to you know dive down a bit deeper and saying okay what are the attack vectors to how i'm how i'm approaching this so it's you know, it's just that constant yeah. learning process. And the more you spend, it is addictive. You will end up with, a, you know, a multi-sig setup in, in no time because, uh, you know, once you realize what it is and and, uh, and you just get better at it, right? And it's becoming like multi-sig was completely batshit scary when I first started looking at this. And now it's like, it's an absolute must. Yeah, you'll end up with 10 signing devices like me. <laughs> yeah. And adding more all the time. Yes, sir. Uh, next month, guys, already excited. It's Bitcoin, not crypto. That one could get rambunctious. Yeah, uh, appreciate you, boys. Have Same a great boys. rest Thanks of your day. Thanks a lot, guys. Catch you guys. We hope this episode was helpful in guiding you to self-custody. If you have any trouble with the setup of a device or software, we would highly recommend you check out BTC Sessions YouTube videos. He is the best in the business. If you're enjoying our romp in the pen, assist us by liking or subscribing on YouTube, following us on Twitter, or sending us deeply disturbing DMs on Noster, which cannot be censored. We are on all podcast apps, and we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. We are also on Podcast 2.0, Value for Value apps, with our preferred being Fountain. Check them out. Please have a great day. We will see you in the next episode. Yeah, 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 yeah.